This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The regulatory state's authority, as massive as it may be, is delegated. It's true for the feds. It's true for the states as well. At the state level, the incentives for administrative agencies are substantially similar, and the solution to the problem of executive agency overreach is also largely the same. Lawmakers need to be on the hook for more regulatory decisions. Joe Lupino Esposito of the Pacific Legal Foundation discusses how state legislatures might better handle regulation. Can you give me a sense of the differences and similarities between regulation and how it's conducted at the federal level versus states? Well, uh, at both the federal and state level, agencies act in similar manners. If it's done properly, the legislature delegates some level of authority to agencies to do what should be really only minor details of figuring out how to enact the laws. But of course, the problem is, is that either legislatures aren't careful or combination along with the agencies overreaching is that they extend beyond what they are really permitted to do. Uh, And that's really no different at the state or federal level. Okay. So, so we are aware of legislation and uh, past and present and pending uh, that would sort of begin the process of from, from Congress and not the courts, rein in a lot of administrative agencies or at least uh, give further consideration to the plans that they would like to roll out. Uh, what is comparable at the state level or what exists at the state level to keep administrative agencies from running amok? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll take your cue there. I'll, I'll mention the, the RAINS Act, obviously, is one of the, the pieces at the federal level. Uh, where uh, essentially the the legislation that's now gotten through the House this year says that uh, if certain regulations over a dollar amount, which is $100,000 of effect on, uh, excuse me, $100 million effect on the economy, um, then uh, it would be brought before Congress rather than having Congress reverse it after it's already been enacted in the same way that the Congressional Review Act does. and, and that's a much, it's, it's a much better way to do things than they currently do at the federal level. Uh, but similarly, you can do that at the state level as well. Things like joint, uh, committees on administrative rules can act in a similar fashion where certain rules will go before a special committee, like it says, a joint committee between the state, uh, Senate and House, where they consider all of the rules that come up. There are some states that, like West Virginia where all of them have to go through the committee before they can be enacted. Uh, but there are also many states where they just simply review them all and they will go into effect if they are not overturned uh, by that committee or otherwise halted by that committee. And really what we found in a number of places, such as North Dakota, um, it makes the regulators more aware that the legislature is going to be reviewing what they are doing. And uh, suddenly, uh, as was mentioned yesterday uh, by a uh, former North Dakota legislator here at uh, uh, SPN, that the stack that was two feet tall suddenly became a few inches tall because they suddenly realized they could not just push everything forward and hope that it would just work through the through the system without any problems. And, and prior to that, what was the review process for uh, lawmakers? In most states, there is no review process when it comes to the rules. Um, I, I think it's just sort of bad practice that's taken hold. Again, I think at least at the onset, most of these legislatures probably thought all they were doing was allowing the agencies to to do the forms or work on enforcement. Uh, but once that power extended, it just kept going that way, and it's never really been pulled back. And things like joint committees and administrative rules are a really good way to do that at the state level. Are other states looking at this? I'm, I'm trying to imagine what the horror story is in a in a state given regulation that would 
inspire lawmakers to begin to take up this issue and i, I imagine you have a couple of those right well for the most part it's uh, it's a practice that we found um almost even more generally where we've we've had a lot of state legislators in the same way that we have a lot of federal legislators saying the same things that constituents will call they have an issue and some of them just get tired of pointing at the agency and saying you're going to have to go call them they're the ones that are in charge of this it's the people that understand the separation of powers and understand that they actually need to go to the legislature to handle these things and the legislature should be the one taking back control um that's really where they 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 have that education and they're doing that uh oklahoma is one such state where um there was some leadership there that said enough is enough. We're tired of just passing the buck and saying that just because the agency is doing it, we can't touch it. We should be the ones actually reviewing these rules before they go into effect or at least re being able to review them before they, we start hearing about, uh, start hearing about it from constituents. I've, I would imagine that there are cases where a regulatory agency could in, in many ways, embarrass a governor, embarrass state lawmakers by taking it a sort of a, an interpretation of a law that directs them to create some sort of regulation and actually get some of those guys tossed out of office. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, that's really where the accountability ought to lie. Um, in, in a similar way, I mean, I think we've talked about some other reforms at the federal level and state level that would, would do something like this and really accurately put it on the governor or put it on the right state officials. Um, you know, there is the Democratic Accountability and Rulemaking Act at the federal level, which says that no rule or regulation can be enacted uh, and signed into law in, into effect uh, by uh, someone who is not presidentially appointed and Senate confirmed, nor could it be even started by someone like that. Uh, you can do similar at the state level. You can say that only certain cabinet secretaries may enact um, certain rules or regulations and send them into effect, or frankly, it's the actions of the governor. The governor can sign all of those rules before they go into effect. And at that point, if the governor is agreeing to it, then the governor is agreeing to it. And again, I, th I think if you have a, an agency that's out of bounds, they're going to be reconsidering whether or not they'll be sending something to the governor to sign. And you can imagine in cases like that, that as you said, as this state lawmaker said, the stack that was two feet tall is now just a few inches tall. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so how do we get at trying to measure the impact of uh, a new law or review process for regulation, you know, where do you even begin to try to understand better whether or not that is going well? Yeah, well, I think for the most part, um, if the, you do have an agency like at the federal level, you'll have something like CBO, you're grading how much these regulations and other bills and things are going to actually cost to go into effect. States have similar functions as well. I mean, sometimes it's just putting a fiscal note on a bill and then understanding what the actual results of that are. So if there's really good follow-up, I think that would be helpful. And furthermore, and when it comes to things like these uh, joint committees on administrative rules or other bodies that could be formed by the legislature to help actually enact these laws and make sure they're going in the way they expect, frankly, just hiring a committee staff and having staff there being able to review these things and saying, here's the actual effect of the law and here's what was intended by the legislature and here's what the agencies are doing. That's how you can keep a check on it and say, wait a minute, we thought there was going to be no effect on the economy. There was going to be no effect on whatever the issue might be. And suddenly now we're adding up millions of dollars. Well, if we stop it, then that's our result. Now, your colleague, Daniel Dew, is fairly skeptical of these fiscal notes yes. when they are 
applied by state agencies. Yes. So they can certainly be used uh, by the agencies uh, as a sort of a cudgel to say, look, we don't want to do this this change. If you have a independent or excuse me, a a legislative body that's independent of the agencies uh, doing their own review of what it ought to be and what that dollar amount is going to be, and the agencies come up with a different number, well, they're going to have something to talk about. Careful listeners of the Cato Daily Podcast will be uh, keenly aware of the doctrine known as Chevron, Chevron deference, in which courts basically defer to the expertise of agencies when uh, creating new rules to govern the United States of America. Chevron deference is uh, on the ropes, as it were, right now. Um, But, you know, what's the comparable deference that is given to state agencies by state courts? Right. No, although Chevron is actually a federal, um, you know, doctrine, uh, and it's only followed by federal courts, you won't be surprised to learn. And again, your listeners will, will probably already know that most states follow it in the same manner, both Chevron and our deference, uh, which relates to the agency's own rules as well. Um, so what we've been doing at Pacific Legal has been pursuing it, uh, not only at the federal level, where we've talked about getting some legislation there, while in the meantime, it's, it's pending in front of the Supreme Court, but also working on legislation in Tennessee and a number of other states that would eliminate that deference. And it's a very simple bill. It just simply says, look, uh, if if there's something that's vague in the statute, uh, you need to uh, defer to to liberty. Uh, But furthermore, when it comes up to the courts, rather than taking the case just based on what the agencies determined at the lower level uh, through their agency adjudication or whatever their process has been, they actually have to look at it de novo, which means they have to look at it with new facts and and a a new eye on things, literally. Uh, And so that's how we took care of it in Tennessee. Um, And then in other ways, uh, Pacific Legals also pursued this through the courts as well, uh, in Ohio, the Twism case essentially got rid of Chevron deference or what would be the equivalent of Chevron deference in Ohio uh, through the courts. So those are two things that are happening in most states still at this point. So even if it does get eliminated at the federal level, um, I think it'll set a good model for the states to perhaps overturn it, but that is still a very long way off. And is there an appetite for that in states? I mean, among lawmakers, are they very interested in this? Yeah, lawmakers are interested in this issue because, again, this is something they'll hear from constituents or, frankly, some of the part-time legislators that have just, you know, they have real businesses and they have real lives. They understand that these um, agencies can make determinations that could really majorly affect someone's small business and essentially just why one simple ruling take them out. And uh, if it goes up to the courts, you think you have your day in court, except the thumb is put on the scale for the agency, in which case you have no way of really winning. Joe Lupino Esposito is Deputy Legal Policy Director at the Pacific Legal Foundation. We spoke in August. Subscribe to and rate the Cater Daily Podcast anywhere you please. And thank you for listening.